0: O'Hara, O'Hara versus the true, it's one-on-one with the goal of goal, what's O'Hara going to do? He burns it! What a goal for Sligo! Even if the sun ceases to
1: rise. And Mickey Curlins, we couldn't see him a moment ago, the crowd's around him, now he's shoulder high. A big thanks to the people of my hometown in Sligo, who also give so much support over the years. Here Kelly
2: has saved three, it's Kavanaugh against Kelly, it's two-nale penalties Sligo runs.
0: One for Arthur for Derek Fox and Lucinda Russell win the national.
3: I would have grown up putting on the green and sigo and pretending that you know you have this put to win the rest of our championship. We've an empty stadium here, but we have a full stadium back at home.
4: Now Mona McSherry is making her move up in lane number
0: two and she's up into third place. She will make history for Ireland become
5: an Olympic finalist. If you like sport, you're going to love Sligo. Good evening and welcome to the Sligo Park Hotel, where a new book called Local Heroes, a celebration of Sligo Sport, is being launched tonight. It's the brainchild of two Sligo twins, both passionate about sport in general, but Sligo Sport in particular. We are going to browse through tonight... Jim and Leo Gray's special publication, which hits the shelves officially tonight. This is Austin O'Callaghan on Ocean FM, and it's my job to paint the picture for you here on radio. And right now, as I look around the ballroom of the Sligo Park Hotel, I'm not quite sure we've had a gathering in the one place at the one time of a sporting array of athletes, coach, parent, guardian, mentor and administrators like we have here tonight and they span so many generations looking around from age 9 Sligo Athletic Club's sprinter Grace Foley, the third fastest kid on the planet, to Sligo's Cheltenham winning trainer, 91 years young Billy Boyers. He's not here in person but he's listening on the radio tonight and they are all part of the Sligo sporting story. Let me introduce you to the man who's responsible for publishing tonight's book. His name is Martin Brennan, uh, Michael Brennan of Red Stripe Press. That's the first faux pas of the evening. Michael, thank you for being with us. Why is it called Red Stripe Press, first of all?
4: That's very unfair to ask me that now. Uh, Red Stripe Press uh, was titled after my lifelong devotion to Stoke City Football Club.
5: So it's not, it's not Sligo Rovers then? Sadly not. No. <laughs> so what convinced you to take a punt on a book about Sligo Sport? It goes back
4: um, about, oh God, I don't know how many years ago it was ago now. Uh, um, I worked with a company called Columba Press many years ago. And Columba was half owner of a distribution company called CMD, Columba Mercer Distribution. And uh, a number of Irish publishers had their books uh, streamed through CMD to the trade. And uh, it gave me an opportunity to have a look and see what books were working for other publishers. And I remembered seeing a particular book. And I thought, what, what is it about this? You know, are there so many Sligo soccer supporters out there? The book was called There's Only One Red Army. And, uh, and I just logged that into my memory banks. And then, if you transport us now to 2020, when I first met Jim and um, we were talking about various uh, possibilities, various ideas, uh, political ideas, there wasn't really one that landed until Jim said, um, what about a compendium of Sligo Sport? I have a brother who knows a bit. And uh, not as much as me now, but knows a bit. And and I thought about uh, There's Only One Red Army, and here we are.
5: Well, we're glad you picked it. Yeah. That's for sure. Um, And uh, we look forward to to leafing through it over the the next while. Well, I'd
4: I'd like to say one thing, if I may. Now, this is the first um, of the first such such book. Um, I have now, having seen it and having seen how the boys work and, and having seen the, 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 the style and the format of the whole thing, um, I'm now looking at that as a template for other counties who may look at this and say, do you know what, you know maybe we should do something similar. So if indeed that does happen
5: and we end up with a series of books, it all started here. Well we know your red and white stripes are really belonging to another soccer club uh, closer to home, but Michael Brennan of Red Stripe Press, thank you very much Pleasure. for uh, joining us today. <laughs> okay folks, let's introduce you to the men who have spent hours and hours compiling, crafting, asking the questions, making note of the answers, and putting shape on local heroes, a celebration of Sligo Sport. Between them, there's about 80 years of newspaper and some broadcast journalism. They had more than one string to their bow. There was a time in my younger years I couldn't tell them apart. It's got marginally easier tonight, but one isn't seen too far away from the other. And for those of you of a certain generation, in the 1980s on a Sunday afternoon listening to Jimmy McGee on RTE Radio 1 Sunday Sport when they went around the League of Ireland grounds from Kilcone Park to Oriel Park to Markets Field to Dalyman Park and you would wait patiently, patiently to go to their man in the showgrounds and the man at the showgrounds was one of our special guests here this evening. Would you please welcome Leo and Jim Gray. You can take up the microphone. Nice. Let's get the important questions out of the way first. Who's the elder brother who arrived first? He is. Leo's older? Oh, yeah. I thought you were older. I we do not know. We're
0: about
6: 40 years old. <laughs> I know, we don't know. That's the honest answer. We do not know. We've been told different stories over yeah. the okay. so.
5: I want you to pretend not. now you're at the cannon in Strand Hill and hold those microphones close to your mouth like they're lollipops. That's the key thing to the next few minutes. Okay. Um, have you ever impersonated one another yes, over the last 40 frequently. years in the course of your job?
0: Oh, no, oh, not in the, the course of your job, job, no. I but, thought we were getting into other facets of life there. We awesome. <laughs> no, <laughs> well, no, we well, keep us stri- strictly professional in the, in the job Yeah,
6: I'll tell you a good one. When we were younger, um, we had a summer job in what was then the Five Star. I don't know if many of you remember the Five Star. It's, it's um, where Tesco is now, and it was a supermarket. I so, like, it was now. first big right. supermarket. And um, we had a job, a Saturday job, and I would go in one Saturday, and Leo would go in the next. That's, and they never knew. They never knew. The they never knew. And, and, and they copped it because at the end, Jim, Jimmy Middleton, the great Jimmy Middleton, I'm sure many of you know Jimmy. Jimmy was our manager in, in uh, Five Star. And the end of the six o'clock, half six on a Saturday evening, he had to mop the floor. No, and nobody wanted to do that. And that was, that was the horrendous job of the whole lot. But Jimmy had a system. And he, it was meticulous. So one of us, I can't remember which of us, made a mess of it one Saturday. And Jimmy said, Didn't I tell you last week how to do that, Ma? <laughs> Did you? What? So he copped that there were two of us. But they took on the two of us then. So it was a happy, was a happy ending. Together ever since. Yeah. Yeah.
5: We know both of you are very good at writing about sport. Were you any good, Leo, at playing sport?
0: Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. I had to give it up to concentrate on the writing,
6: unfortunately. <laughs> I, 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 I'll tell you um, another story now, I'll tell you how good we are at the football. <laughs> um, Barry Hogan, there is, is among us, he, he's a great line in the book, Barry, where he says he knew when it was time to stop chasing the dream. Well, when I knew it was time to stop chasing the dream was I was playing for the village Inn. Sean Dwyer is there as well, we were playing in an, inter, an inter-pub competition and Jim Sheridan was our manager. And Jim was a former League of Ireland centre-half, great legendary player. And he was giving us instructions in the dressing room before we went out to play. And it was a semi-final of a, of a pub over a pub competition over in McSharry Park, big time like. And uh, Jim Sheridan was giving us the, the pep talk and who was going here and who was going there and what we were going to do. And I'm standing there. He, did, he didn't even look at me. So we were going out onto the pitch anyway and I said, where am I playing, Jim? And he looked at me and said, are you playing? <laughs> And I said, yeah, yeah, number 11. And he pointed to the furthest spot he could see on the pitch. And he said, you see up there, John? He said, you get up there out of harm's way. That's where you're playing. (laughs) (laughs) I knew it was time to stop chasing the dream.
5: Because I gather you did actually play against one another in a school's cup final of yes. sorts on Temple Street.
0: Yeah. yeah, St. John's National School. School leagues there every year were just, you know, the uh, All-Ireland final or the World Cup where everything squeezed into one. And uh, the year we played, our final year in St. John's National School actually, uh, the team I was on, the captain was Ozzy Herity. I still see Ozzy around town now. And Jim was on another team. Peter Burrows. And we, Peter Burrows was the captain, yeah. And we went through the whole league unbeaten. We just destroyed every team we came up against. And we got to the final. And the top two teams reached the final. And Jim, the Jim, Jim's team were second. They just about squeezed into second place and squeezed into the final. So, of course, we thought we'd actually hammered them in the final. You know, But as things turned out, <laughs> they walloped us in the final. So that was a bit of confrontation on the sports fields that we had when we were younger. All right, yeah. Okay. But and, but and, and, and another story. Ignatius Beglin is here. I saw him earlier on. He started up a team called City Gales. It didn't last too long. I don't know if we had anything to do with that. No, but it, was, it, was, it, was a, it was a great team and a great bit of crack. What Ignatius tells, tells me, I don't remember this myself, but he tells me, he, he, we were playing, I think it might have been Coolera, I'm not sure, and Ignatius lined out the team and myself and Jim were the two corner forwards. And Ignatius said he kept switching us around from right to left, with the idea because we looked so like no one in the opposition team didn't know who they were supposed to be American. <laughs> and Ignatius said it worked a work to treat and we, we had a great win. Myself and Jim had a great game. No, I don't remember that myself. Not in that detail. Agne- any, but Ignatius, is, good Ignatius a story. is here and he swears it's a true story. So
5: that was another good, a good uh, memory. So it sounds like sport was part of your lives from the very beginning through to your professional yeah. career. So it, was this book an, an inevitable thing you would do at some stage in your lives. I
0: think uh, I, I think it was a, a niche that had to be scratched. Yeah. <laughs> it was something that uh, I retired, I think, eight years ago, and you know, it, it was something that was always there in the back of my mind. To have to, there was a book in me that I wanted to get out, but I never really seriously addressed myself to doing it until Michael explained earlier on how this project came about. So I suppose it
6: was something that was always there that we wanted to do, Austin, all right, yeah. And I think we probably felt, um, like in The Champion every week or the weekend or, or yourselves on radio, or there's lots of podcasts now as well, like there is great sports coverage in Sligo. But we just felt, maybe it's when you retire and you can stand back a bit and see it a bit clearer, that there was nothing of permanence, if you like. All the great legends going way back right up to the present time, I just thought, as we say on the back of the book, it's, it's sort of meant to be a monument, in a sense, to all of those people, just to honour them and to recognise them. And we felt, look, we've been 40 years at this, maybe we're the ones who should do it. And, and that's yeah. basically how it came about. And, and the other thing in Boston that motivated us was,
0: you know, we're a small county in Sligo, with a relatively small population. I think there's 30,000 people. more people live in Tallase and in Dublin than live in, in the whole of County Sligo. But look what we've achieved. Look what the county has achieved with a small population base, a small county geographically. Um, Four Olympians, a world champion cyclist, um, national medals in all range of sports, two Grand National National National, Jockeys, uh, four all-star Gaelic footballers and, you know, generations of really good Gaelic players down through the years, all from a small county. And it was sort of hidden treasure. So I hope... This book takes that substantial record of achievement out from the shadows, shines a light on it, and gives it the acclaim and the
6: overdue recognition it deserves. And the other thing then, just asking about that, it's why Leo's right about all those great achievements. The other thing we wanted to do in the book was recognise all the people who work tirelessly under the radar, the volunteers in every sport across the county. Because if there weren't the volunteers every Saturday morning, the kids there would never be the elite athletes. So we wanted to recognise that as well. And, and there are a lot of volunteers and volunteerism sort of flowing through the book as well. And that, that was equally important.
5: And even though you're retired from active journalism, I mean, you're, you're still active. Let's, let, let, let's be honest. I mean, it, there'd be an impression that ye, there isn't too much about Sligo Sport that you guys don't know. But I get the sense from doing this book, you actually learned quite a bit. Oh, and there were a few revelatory stories in there that caught you by surprise yeah we thought we well you think you know a lot about about having worked
6: so long that but we wanted the book the challenge we set ourselves was to try and tell old stories or familiar stories in a different way and so we were researching a lot and and we found that the people were very very open with us a lot of the people told us stuff that maybe they hadn't shared with anybody else before and one such story is Um, Kieran Kelly, the Sligo Rovers goalie. Now, most people know that Kieran is a folk hero. He saved four penalties in an FAI Cup final shootout. Never be done again anywhere. And the following year, he went back and he saved two more. And that was the reason I rang him, to talk about that glory. But as we were chatting, he opened up to me, and I don't think anybody other than his close family would have known. In the year leading up, that momentous occasion at the Aviva Stadium, Kieran was suffering desperately with mental health issues, and he was in a really bad place. And he said, "Sport and the, the 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 adrenaline of appearing in an FAI Cup final got him through." And it was a remarkable thing. In I think it was 2009, Rovers lost the FA Cup final, FAI Cup final, uh, surprisingly to Sporting Fingal, and Kieran blamed himself for the two goals that beat Sligo. And he said that's what triggered. He was carrying this guilt completely unnecessarily, but in his own mind, he was the culprit. And he was carrying this. And the guy who scored the penalty against him that day, that defeated the cup, was, what was his name? Collie James, James, James yeah. was playing, and he scored the goal against Cairn that day that, that s- set off the spiral of, of really tough times for him. And lo and behold, two years later, Cairn Kelly is in a cup final shootout against Shelburne and the man facing him to take the last penalty is the same Collie and he saved it and he said that was redemption and like that that stuff uh, you don't get too often in book, it's a really great story and a very important story. Were you surprised
5: that people were willing to share that sort of stuff with you?
6: Very and in his case it was the only time where I actually I wrote the story and I rang him back and I said, here are you sure about this? And if he had said at that stage, yeah, I don't want to go there, we, wouldn't have, we, we, we would have done the glory story about saving the penalties. But I, I, I told him, he, he knew exactly what we were at, and I said, are you sure you're happy with this? And he said, Jim, if one person reading this gets
5: something from it, I
6: want to do it, and he did it.
5: Leo, I remember seeing a tweet from you about five years ago in January, was it 2017, 2016, January of the year, and you, the tweet, I'm paraphrasing, said, keep an eye on this Sligo guy, Derek Fox. He could win the National with this horse, one for Arthur. And I do remember, and I hold my hand up, I said, what is he talking about? Derek who? And four months later, a Sligo man wins the entry Grand National. Yeah. And it was an obscure race at the time. How, like, yeah, well, how does that fall on your radar?
0: It, well, I was watching the uh, afternoon racing one Saturday, I think it was from Weatherby, and there was... a. Uh, the big feature race of the day was won by a horse called One for Arthur and the jockey was Derek Fox and I knew Derek was from Sligo, I didn't know him personally but I knew he was from Sligo. So I, I think it was just the way the horse won that race that I, I, I kind of, and it was mentioned on the, on the afternoon that this could be a potential Grand National horse and I probably sent out the tweet then and I, unfortunately I didn't back it <laughs> it was a big price at that time but I didn't back, but anyway I, I did follow the, the Derek's kind of path from then on And up up to actually winning the Grand National on uh, that that same year. So when I rang Derek to to see would he be interested in in doing a piece for the book, and he was very happy to do it. And he took me through the when I was a young boy. I think the sport or the okay sporting event that caught my imagination most was the Grand National, as a lot of young lads do. I just was captivated by it. So to actually speak to a jockey that won the race and he, he took me through it, fence by fence. It was almost like sort of being there. And the two of us, once we got chatting, we were like two boys, two young kids talking about the Grand National. And You know, Derek was as excited about it, recalling it, as I was listening to it. And it was just, you know, I, I don't know if I convey that in the book, I hope I do, but it was an absolutely, it was a great uh, thrill for me to, to speak to Derek and to get the ins, in, inside the head of a Grand National winning jockey, it's fantastic.
6: Jim, were you going to
5: jump in there? Sorry, no, I thought you were going
6: to. No, well, I, was, I was just going to say, um, I've lost my... Tw- oh, yeah, Dur- Derek talking to Leo about his, his, his day at the National. That's what the book is, just to be clear to everybody. It's, it's a collection of essays, really, all relatively short. Um, but I think that's the beauty of it, that you can dip in and dip out. You know, you can read The Athletics today and leave it there for a week or so and come back and dip into the no. soccer. You know, there's something for everybody in it, and it's an easy read and it skips along nicely. Yeah. And the other
0: thing I point, I suppose, is making it's not a historical kind of um, troll through through Sligo sporting history. So, if anybody wants a historical <laughs> document of Sligo sport, this is, this isn't it. So, it does, you know, just to make that point. But what it is, as Jim says, is. Um, it's a, it's, it is what it says on the tin it's a celebration of Sligo Sport and, and some of the leading personalities who have brought great joy and honour and glory to the county over the years
5: to finish guys, what's your best moment in Sligo Sport if you had to pick one, and I know that's kind of a a, a loaded question but I mean, it, it might not necessarily but you know, what I, is the thing, is it being a grandad Jim Gray? Yeah, I was going to say that they all tell you about
6: Rovers and, and the GAA and all that my best sporting moment was Trans-Celtic.
5: <laughs> we lead the league. Okay. Watching the granddaughter and son.
0: And Leo? Well, I have two. I think the first year Slager Rovers won the FAI Cup, in 1983, it was a great honour to uh, report on that um, because it was such an iconic occasion. Uh, you know, the club was was waiting for I think over 50 or six years to win it and it was almost like the Mayo Curse people thought it would never do it and then they did so to, to be there and have the privilege of, of covering that for, for the local
6: paper yeah, was brilliant. And just, I'm just interjecting uh, there, yeah. but made that really special, I see him there guy who grew up down the road from us, and oh, we yeah. idolized him Fago, the man yeah. Yeah. Uh, Tony Fagan who's in the crowd here
5: tonight Captain of the 1983 Sligo Rovers team. Well, we can see the passion from the two of you guys as authors, as editors, as journalists, but most of all, I think, as proud Sligo men. Ladies and gentlemen, Jim and Leo Gray.
6: Thanks very much.
5: And for the next few moments, folks, we're going to delve into the book and take you through just some of the pages. We're not going to get to it all. And there are lots of instantly recognizable stories and names in this room. If I mention David Pugh, Mihol Cairns, Barnes Murphy, Tony Fagan, we've just talked about. Everybody here, everybody listening knows pretty much exactly who I'm talking about and what they did. And they deserve to be in this book. They are in this book. But we're going to try and, I won't say surprise you, but at least give you a little bit of insight into the work and scope that Jim and Leo have spent the last nine months working on towards this celebration of Sligo Sport. And we're going to invite two sports people onto the stage right now who are both senior Irish internationals, and it's quite possible some of you in the room have never heard of them, because one of them is Sligo's only, only senior Irish hockey international, And at the peak of her powers, she quit the sport at the age of 24, just like that. And alongside her tonight is a person who has played for Ireland at international level in basketball. And just like that, she switched to rugby. And she's part of the current Irish international senior rugby setup. I'm not sure if they're related. We'll find out in a moment. Please welcome Elaine McDermott and Aoife McDermott. Elaine, welcome. Grab a grab a, a microphone. And again, the um, Mammy Johnson's rules apply. The hold them like ice creams at the cannon in Strathail, okay? Um, Elaine, you've got something nobody else has for now. Sligo's only senior Irish hockey international. That's got to have a nice ring to it.
7: Uh, it. It does. And it was a fantastic time. Um, but you kind of move on and forget about it and it was really, really lovely when Jim rang me during the summer uh, to talk to me about it and to remind me of the memories that I have which were really, really special. Do many
5: people in Sligo know that you were an Irish international?
7: Um, Probably the people in Yates Hockey Club (laughs) and some of my students in school but... uh, Generally, no, and I remember one of my, uh, my former coaches, um, he's president of Hockey Ireland now actually, uh, he was saying to me, well, I was starting the academy, the Connacht Academy, and he said to me, Elaine, do they know who you are? And I said, it doesn't really matter.
5: I'm, just, I'm asking that because, you know, I'm sure you watched and were glued to the telly like the rest of us a few years ago when Ireland reached the final of the World Cup in hockey. You got pretty close to qualifying for the World Cup in 1992 and it probably made an insy column on page 42 of a sports supplement at the time.
7: Yeah, uh, we were playing down in New Zealand uh, for the Barcelona Olympics qualification. And, yeah, it, but it always only made an insy-bitsy little bit... And, and the newspaper, and that didn't take away from what we were doing and from the experience. Um, mind you, if we had qualified, we might have got maybe two more column lengths. Um, but uh, yeah, we were very close. We, were, we had to draw with China in the last game, and uh, we conceded a goal to lose it in the last minute.
5: You come from a very well-known sporting family in Ballywheeling and Ross's Point, your sisters and brothers, well-talented soccer players, golfers. You had one of those annoying families if you took up any sport, you seemed to be incredibly good at it. Um, But was hockey your thing from an early age?
7: Uh, No, um, I played football, uh, soccer, I I, I love hockey and I'd be very loyal to it, but I personally think soccer is the best game in the world. Um, I spent years with a gable wall and a football and happily for hours and hours just kicking the ball against the wall um, there wasn't a structure for girls sports really when I was growing up so I played on the primary school what was called the boys team and we played against St John's and I'd say we bet she actually and <laughs> um, and then I, I, I went into the earth line and took up hockey didn't know one end of hockey stick from another but if you'd given me a badminton racket or a tennis racket or anything, I would have just gone with it. Right, okay.
5: So the airline was the trigger for you, Airline Earthline
7: absolutely was the trigger for me. And you were talking about volunteers earlier on. Um, really, without people who, who volunteer, and I would like to mention Mary McCann particularly, she didn't work in the school, she worked locally, and uh, every lunchtime came in and mm-hmm. coached us and we fed off our enthusiasm. So, you know, really people like that need to be lauded. Is there any family tree connection between the McDermott's in Ross's Point
5: and the McDermott's in Riverstown? Where, we, we,
8: we don't think so. No,
5: my dad is a Mayo man, so I, I, okay. I, don't, I don't think so. Okay. Eva, I'm not sure what your favourite sport is because you have uh, done a little tour yourself at an extremely high level.
8: Yeah, um, uh, yeah, I suppose I, basketball was my first love, and um, I think the roots and the the base that basketball gave me in terms of knowing how to train hard and and the the skills and stuff that it gave me um, made the transition to rugby all the better and easier, I suppose. Um, but yeah, hard to pick one.
5: Yeah, and what what prompted you to change from basketball? You were representing Ireland, playing for the All Stars. You won national Super League titles in Limerick. You had a pretty busy trophy cabinet of basketball silverware. Why would you
8: move Um, from that? Yeah, I suppose I'd had a very successful basketball career and I I think I was looking for a new challenge. I felt like I'd almost reached as far as I could in my basketball career and um, I'd have seen a few other teammates and um, that switch over to rugby and make it at the international level and I thought that would be... A great challenge to go from a non-contact sport to a very physical contact sport um, and see if I could you know, challenge myself to make it and uh, thankfully it, it worked out okay And was the transition easy? No <laughs> um, No but I, I was very lucky in that I, I joined a club at Railway Union in Sandy Mountain, Dublin and um, with great coaching and, and teammates and stuff who played at the international level uh, really I suppose seeing that there was something there and that I, I had um, I suppose, a, a chance of making it, and they, they really encouraged me and helped me along to, to get there. But, uh, yeah, t- it, took, it took a bit of time.
5: And, of course, today, as an Irish international with the rugby team, they're painting murals of you in Riverstone right now. You're almost as famous as Johnny Kenny out there.
8: Almost. <laughs> yeah. uh, and young Johnny's definitely uh, taking, taking the next um, favourite spot after. <laughs> but is that
5: nice? Maybe there's a small tinge of embarrassment, but in a good way. Is it nice... To be, you know, a role model not just for your hometown but your home county.
8: Uh, yeah, it, it is. It's lovely. Um, it's definitely a bit embarrassing every time you're you're driving faster or that. But I suppose if it inspires kids in the local area to show that, you know, it you don't have to come from Dublin or a big city or something like that. You can come from a small rural village in Saigo and and make it at the international level. Um, that's great to to show them that it's possible. Yeah,
5: and you're still determined to get into the Irish rugby team you haven't you're not retiring yet or anything are you
8: not yet anyways good
5: Good. that's good one thing girls I wanted just to finish I mean there's there's so much we could talk about but I I was struck to finish about a quote from your chapter in Local Heroes Elaine you have worked as a PE teacher in the Sligo Grammar School and elsewhere and you talked you know about the engagement in sport and there was one quote that you do remember a time where you could get the, the lads in the school to play all day long, but the girls needed a bit of cajoling and you'd like that to change.
7: Yeah, um, it, it's very evident even you know, in schools around the country, uh, the boys will go out at break time and at lunchtime and after school and kick a ball around if they have one or a bottle around if they don't have one. That doesn't happen with girls. Um, and I'm trying to... I, 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 is that not changing, though, do you It think? is changing. It's certainly changing. Um, and I think in, in running to catch up, pardon the, the pun, and girls in sport, girls don't have that history of knocking a ball around or just playing casually. Uh, a lot of girls are straight into very structured sport. Their hour of training and they're buying the jersey... And playing with the team, and it's very uh, structured. I think. Whereas historically, boys would have grown up with knocking a ball around the place. So I think I think generally sport is going that way. In that there is less of that fun element to it. Um, but I do think that girls have missed that stage of you know the the park outside the house or you know just knocking the ball around because we are really working hard to catch up with with the boys in relation to sport.
5: Well, listening to you there and just thinking of you as the only to-date Sligo Senior Hockey International, it occurs to me there is another Ross's Point teenager, Maeve McLaughlin from Sligo Grammar School, who's the only Connacht player on the Irish uh, under-16 hockey squad. She might be the person to uh, bridge that gap to your record?
7: Well, she might be, and knowing her and having coached her, um, I would have great confidence that she will be, and I would love nothing more than somebody else to take the bat on. Aoife, do you miss the basketball?
8: yeah and um, hopefully at some point I'll, I'll return to it um, it's definitely my first love and as I say it's a huge part of why I've had so much success so yeah
9: well I
5: imagine EJ Sligo All Stars would welcome you back any day of the week or night with open arms for, for the women's team ladies and gentlemen Elaine McDermott and Ethan McDermott thank you very much Right, we're going to have to speed along a bit. If you're a 1980s kid like me, or a late 1970s kid, one of the appointment things to do on television every third Saturday in May was the FA Cup final on television. It was appointment viewing, the coverage, whether it was BBC or UTV started at midday and it lasted about five hours and you saw everything. The dressing room, the team buses, the team hotels, the family, and it was one of the signature things to do on television, the limited sporting television that there was back then. A lot has changed, but there is only one Sligo person that we know of that has played in an FA Cup final in England when it was well and truly an FA Cup final. And we're going to invite him up on stage. In just a second. And joining him on stage is one of those Sligo sporting personalities. All you need to do is mention his first name or his nickname, and you know exactly who you're talking about. So when Jim said Fago a moment ago, everybody knew that's Tony Fagan. If I say to you Red Oak, you know exactly who I'm talking about Red Oak Murphy, and we're delighted that his father, Redmond, is with us in the audience here tonight, uh, and Red Oak is a key part of this book as well. And if I say to you, Ski, every single Sligo Rover supporter knows exactly who I'm talking about. Please welcome on stage Barry Cogan and Paul Ski-McGee. <laughs> Barry, welcome. Grab a mic there. He likes to come up the centre aisle. He likes to make an entrance. Always did, always will. Paul, welcome, to, welcome home. Gents, pull up a chair there. Um, you guys are different soccer generations, so you may not know each other that well. But Barry Cogan, first of all, you're like one of those most famous Sligo soccer players we've never, ever met. Because you've played in an FA Cup final. The year was 1995. And the club was Millwall. 95? 2004. 2004, sorry. There you go. Against Manchester United.
9: Are you still living off that? Probably a little bit, yeah. Um, when, I used to be, when I was still playing, uh, every time the FA Cup would come round and we'd have a good run in the FA Cup, that was my claim to fame because I used to get interviewed and it was always talking about the FA Cup final. Um, so, yeah... A little bit, and it's the most well-known game. Obviously, you have played, and it's a massive game. It was a massive occasion. It was the probably the pinnacle of my career, um, and it's something that you know a lot of professionals, top professionals, have had really, really, really good careers. Have gotten they never had that opportunity. So to be able to do that was really unbelievable.
5: Yeah, how did you end up going across the water?
9: Well, it was. Obviously, I, I, I started playing soccer uh, quite quite late. Really, I was a Gaelic football. I was always, you know, grew up Gaelic football, and then played for our Harps. And it happened quite quickly. It was on under-12s. Was the first time I ever played. Um, played for our Harps, and then I went to school in Boyle, so I decided to play in Boyle. And I was playing over, I like a Leitrim over in the Mayo somewhere, and someone just approached me after the game and said, "Do you want to come to Dublin?" and play in Dublin for Belvedere and I said yes yeah why not so <laughs> three hour journey up to Dublin on a Saturday I think it was like 13 um, play we used to play there and I spent two seasons at Belvedere and then Millwall approached me asked me if I wanted to go play over there and travelled to London 15 and uh, signed for Millwall when I was 15 put, put me up in digs and that's sort of the way it went gradually made my way into the Millwall first team um, And they went on a great run in the FA Cup, which gave me that opportunity.
5: And that was at a time when Wembley was being redeveloped. So the final was played at the Millennium Stadium in Cardiff, if it was 2004, against Manchester United. And that was the United team of Roy Keane, Cristiano Ronaldo, Gary Neville, et al. Were you a United fan growing up?
9: Yeah, massive United fan growing up, yeah. So as everyone in Ireland is, I had a Man United, Liverpool most of us, so... Yeah, it was, uh, and Roy Kane was my favourite player. So to be on the same pitch, you know, playing against Man United, some of the players he had Ryan Giggs, you had John O'Shea, who was playing left back, um, Paul Scholes, Ruud Van Nistelrooy. Yeah, just, just to be on the same pitch was, was unbelievable, really good. And Barry, Cogan. Yeah, Barry yeah, Cogan. You can
5: add it in, absolutely. It's nice to have. Paul, you're still buzzing after all these years? What? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you very much. Um, yeah, Good to see you. Look at, you know, for the younger generation here, you were part of that famous 1977 Sligo Rovers winning League of Ireland team. Yeah. You played for Ireland, you played for Queen's Park Rangers in what was the old First Division, was the Premier League of your time. You played in in Holland. You were a product of Summerhill College. Yeah. Um,
10: and you were just damn good, wasn't it? That's, that's the reality of it. Um, I would just say from, obviously us all here, all these other super people here. Um, from day one, Sligo's a very soccer town in those days. That was the big thing, right? So now it's getting more difficult. I'm doing a bit of coaching in Galway and that, and doing a lot. And you've got a lot of stuff going on, Is in rugby, Gaelic, hurling, and soccer. You know, so it's, it's not as easy. Now, we used to play soccer in those days, on the street, Father, Michael, Father Michael's leagues, Galway United. Not Galway United, I was going to say. um, Yeah, just playing as kids. And I was lucky that um, we had two guys come up to coach the Summerhill team. um, Johnny Brooks and Kevin Fallon. They were in the 71 uh, cup final thing. And um, they come up coaching with us. And uh, Johnny Brooks recommended that I go up training with Sligo Rovers. I was 15.
5: And throughout all of that, (coughs) when you were a teenager playing yeah. with the college and going on to play yeah. wherever your career took you, yeah. playing with i and going around the world. Yeah.
10: I think you played against Maradona, did you, back in the day with Ireland? or? Yeah, that's one I got a lot of publicity last week, or last year when he passed away, because we actually swapped shirts. Did you? <laughs> yeah. So And people say to me, well, they say, Ski, you're a striker, how can you get his shirt if he's the other end of the pitch? But it, just a quick story, Um, because I tend to go on so anyway, my job in those days as a striker was when the corner kicks were being taken against us I came back and sort of stood 10 yards from the ball and give him a bit of herbals and a bit of this and that to try and pull him off you know, and so Mardoni came down and the wind, he was hitting from the left side and the wind was coming it was about 5 minutes to go, so he curled the ball in on top of Jerry Payton who punched it over he came again, curled it in he was trying to score, you know and then punched, punched over the bar again and then the referee blew the full time whistle so I'm here there's Diego Maradona just walking towards me so I just said sth, sth, thank you very much yeah you want my jersey <laughs> <laughs> and Diego goes look I like got Paul McGee's jersey and um, and in fairness uh, yes and then we were there together and it was unbelievable because I turned around there was like 10 defenders coming, get away from him, get away from him. And um, so, so that's what I say now in those days, as I said, I have his jersey at home. Um, and when people said to me, oh, you got Maradona's shirt, you've got Maradona's shirt, and I'd say, well, he's gone around uh, Argentina saying he's got a ski shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Throughout
5: your entire football career, Paul McGee, you know, for all the global travelling you did and the clubs you played for, your Sligo-ness was important to you, has been and
10: continues to be. Yeah, well, how could you explain it? I mean, everything happened here. I got a lot of breaks in younger age, like all these athletes now playing, and um, Sligo was a very soccer town. I had some great one guy here now, taught me so much. I can't, it's, it's hard to name people. When I, would, when I came up to South, I remember cycling from Summerhill College up from my first training session in the showgrounds. And then we were indoors or something, and who did I meet? Tony Fagan, right? And Fagan whacked me a few times, right? And he did me the world of good. He thought I was a little bit flanky, a little bit flashy, and he says, right, boom, boom, and then we became great friends. So And other people, David Pugh, Jerry Mitchell, there was a list that were often good to me as being a kid. So I did make my debut at 15 okay. and just my career then formed, I had 10 years in England, four years in the States and three years in Holland I'm Not st- bad. and I'm still only 35. <laughs> <laughs> and still playing Astro football on a Wednesday night by all
5: accounts. Yeah, Barry Cogan, yeah. to finish with you, l- l- like Paul I get the impression your Sligo-ness is important, you're back home in Heapstown for a, for a, a holiday back to see the folks, you're... Your dad celebrates his 80th birthday this week. We better say happy birthday to, to Eddie Cogan as well. So where you come from, your roots are still key to you.
9: Yeah, of course. Um, I try to get home at least twice a year. Um, my family, bring my family back. They love coming back, back to Heapsdown. Um The Kids love coming back and seeing the grandparents and all the cousins. So it was a wild few days, as you can imagine.
5: Absolutely. Well guys, it's great to have you here tonight and thank you for being part of this Local Heroes celebration of Sligo Sport. Ladies and gentlemen, Paul Ski mcgee and Barry Cogan. Thank, thank you very much, folks. Right, we're going to pick up the pace a little bit for a couple of reasons, because the next sport we're going to look on... If you live in the northern half of County Sligo more often than not on early mornings or late at nights, you'll see a bobbing fig- figure on the N15 or the Castletown Road or the Kearney Road or somewhere between Grange and Munning and Drumcliff, and Drumcliffe bobbing up and down and it's somebody running early in the morning, late at night or during the day, it could be any time of the day or night and that's one of our next guests this evening who. Um, has had a very illustrious athletics career and she's joined by a guy who's motoring very nicely now into the prime of his athletics career and they are household names in Sligo Sport. Please welcome on stage Mary Cullen and Chris O'Donnell. Welcome, folks. Pull up a chair and a microphone. Thanks for being Thank with us tonight. Uh, you didn't run in here tonight, Mary Cullen, by any chance, did I you? I didn't,
1: know, but I was that person at 6.30 this morning on the N15, running early right. to get it done before. Yeah. But, uh,
5: yeah. I do wonder, are you a lunatic running at that hour of the morning? But there you go. This, this, this is what we do, isn't it? Yeah, at least a little tell bit, us.
1: but as Chris would tell you, I think you have to have a little bit of crazy in you to do what we do.
5: Yeah, um, I think... Zola Flynn is here tonight Ray Flynn's daughter Zola is in the crowd somewhere No, Zola don't worry I'm not going to ask you to come up but I do remember the grace telling me that Ray Flynn the late Ray Flynn was asked who's been Sligo's greatest athlete and he named you (laughs)
1: Um, obviously that's a massive privilege Um, Ray was one of those people that we never forget Um, he obviously was such a person that like you know really influenced my career and he always talked so highly about athletics and stuff as well so um yeah we'll never forget Ray (laughs) Um,
5: why do you think he picked you
1: um probably because he didn't like GEA, for starters (laughs) um no I think it's hard to explain athletics I suppose to people that don't do it like um I remember Seb Cole once said that like you know, we compete against 214 other countries around the world, Um, not taken away from any other sports like the GAA, just in case people think so, but um, I suppose for Ray, he just saw that, you know, um, with athletics, it is, it's so, it it is tough, you know, we're out there training by ourselves, it's getting a little bit different, like there is more team element to it, but for me personally, like I obviously had a great club here in North Sligo, but you're still out there by yourself. When you toe the line, you're still there by yourself. And I think Ray just probably, he did it himself. Like he was an amazing race walker and he put in all the mileage and stuff too. So I just think his grow was for athletics. But it is, it's a tough sport. And maybe that's why he picked me. I'm not yeah, too sure. <laughs> okay. <laughs> You've
5: given a very candid interview to the Greys in Local Heroes. In -hmm. in, in a short few pages, you've managed to cram a lot in. And much has happened to you. You've become a mum. You've had cancer. Did your athletics resilience help you with your illness?
1: 110%. Um, Yeah, like, look, it was a difficult time. I got diagnosed with cancer when I was 10 weeks pregnant with my first pregnancy. Um, you know I didn't know what was going to happen Um, my priority shifted to my now little son Ellis but you know I had a very candid uh, conversation with Jim when he interviewed me and he's had his battle as well so it was yeah look I I suppose I didn't do things in half like I got injured a lot as a runner I got diagnosed with cancer when, when I was pregnant Um, but for me, like I had Ellis at 34 weeks and then I knew I was going to be heading to Germany for my treatment Um, but yeah, I just thought, like, you know I had six chemotherapy sessions eight weeks of radiation and I kind of just treated it nearly like a race if that makes sense like I, um, you know, when I was training for my competitions and my races it was like blocks of training and you got through each day um, you got through each cycle so for, for me with my treatment it was just you know I, I ran at the beginning of my treatment and stuff as well I was in Germany and I was going out for my runs after my treatment um, I guess using that little bit of therapy but yeah I just you know took it a day at a time got through each week and there was a end point you know that I suppose was like the race once I got to the end it was it was kind of box ticked
5: Yeah, and just when we see you on the roads in North Sligo, and I think people in Grange, Clifney, Maharau, Bundoran, they'll all know what I'm talking about here at all hours of the morning and the night. There's a a tiny part of us wondering, is she looking at going running competitively again? Is she coming back? Like, is there a tiny competitive part of you that would like to have a go at the Dublin (laughs) Marathon? I mean, or, you know, is that something you would countenance? Um,
1: Like, I suppose I kind of, you know, I turned 40 this year. But there's, you know, there's some great runners like Schnitt Diver from Mayo. She, I know she runs for Australia, but I spot Michael Kearney there in the background now. And he always said that like marathon would be, I suppose, my event. Um, I've still got a few little things post-treatment, um, more just from a kind of saliva and different point of view. But yeah, I'm not going to lie. I don't really want to finish my career even though I'll, I'll never retire, but, um, yeah, I'd never say never for a marathon. I actually would. Um, I'd love to give it a go. 2024 might be Chris's uh, next Olympics, but you never know. We, we could get there, <laughs> maybe. <laughs>
5: <laughs> well, you are, of course, North Sligo teammates. So no pressure, Chris O'Donnell. You, 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 you're, you've watched Mary's career as a younger athlete and now as an international class athlete yourself. I mean, are, I'm guessing... She and others are the sort of people you've taken inspiration from.
3: Yeah, I think I was very lucky to be honest to have Mary. Like, there's no way I I don't think I'd be sitting here today if it wasn't for Mary. Um, Like, I would have been young, and she was coming home with a European medal at at the local track. You know, she's running for Ireland, and I remember the day, and there were loads of kids. She won't remember that I was there, but I was there, and I was very young, and she took us for a lap, and just. To kind of see someone at that level because you know athletics mightn't be the most published sport in the world but to see right someone from saigo it's possible to compete for ireland and to compete at the the highest level against literally the best athletes in the world and so kind of from then i was able to say right it's it's possible for for me to kind of achieve that and now to be fair i've kind of went back to to grange myself with with some some kids and hopefully they're saying the same and we can have a third person here you know, next in, in ten years time or so.
5: I'm trying to remember now there are so many records you've broken already. You're the second fastest four hundred metres runner of all time. Only David Gillick has run quicker. Is it a question of when, not if?
3: Um that's that's what I'm working towards. I've got loads of goals, that's certainly one of them. So I'm I'm hopeful in the next few years. But um yeah, as Mary said, it's it's Paris has come around very quickly. Obviously it's it's kinda of nice in a way that with the with the delay of Tokyo, it kinda of meant Paris is is only around the corner. So um, there's always so much to look forward to. Like, there's another, I was at World Championships this year, and there's another World Championships this year. The next year, it's European Championships and the Olympic Games. So everything comes ticking fast. of so loads of goals, and I'd love to, I'd really love to get the record, yeah.
5: Okay. Well, we wish you bon chance in a couple of years' time. Uh, qualification permitting, of course, guys, there's so much more we could talk to both of you about. You'll have to read the book to find out more. Mary Cullen and Chris O'Donnell, thank you very much. Right, just a note for Donald, back at Baystone, we are going to run a little bit over here, we're going to have to move into a definitive sprint right now, uh, as we approach the end of our launch of Local Heroes, a celebration of Sligo Sport. We have talked to some of the athletes, but behind all the athletes, there are wonderful parents and guardians and mentors and coaches, and we're going to introduce you very briefly to the parents of the fastest cyclist in Ireland because in a straight line, the fastest cyclist in Ireland isn't Stephen Roach or Sean Kelly or Sam Bennett or Martin Irvine. It's another Martin, a Sligo Martin. He's just completed the World Paracycling Championships in France. He can't be with us here tonight off the back of that, but he was fifth in the Paralympic Games, and I think his mum and dad are here tonight. So if we're not embarrassing them too much, could I invite Margaret And Ronnie Gordon to the stage, please. Thank you, Margaret. And Ronnie is here as well. You're very welcome, folks, from Hazelwood and Sligo. There are steps at the side if you want to make your way. Or you can... You're going cross-country. That's absolutely fine, Margaret. Come ahead up welcome and you can grab a microphone there and hold it good and tight to your to your lips and Ronnie as well folks thank you for being here tonight i promise you running this will be much easier than the dentist <laughs> <laughs> what is it like having an international son in sport
11: well we're very proud we're very proud of martin of what he has achieved and we have given him the support that we think he he needs, and um, yeah. <laughs> You're doing well. <laughs> yes, we um, yeah, are. We are very proud, as I said, and um, he has put a lot of effort in. Mm. He's committed.
5: The, the two of you are just back from Versailles. You've just watched about the World Championships. Yes. What was that experience like for the two of you?
12: Oh, it was brilliant. It's an experience. Because we have an Ophelodrome here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Yes. But it, it, it's, it's, uh, he's been to uh, the Paralympics. We went to see him then in, in London two years ago on, on the Ophelodrome over beyond. So we have no fellow drum here in Ireland, so they go to usually to, um, um, to the UK to train. And they link up with a, a team there, Blackwater, and they compete against the, their colleagues, the British team, Corregler, so they're great friends with all. Mm-hmm. So. But um,
5: yeah, we are very proud of them. And for people not familiar with Martin's story, he lost his sight at the age of 17, 17 pretty much overnight, while Ireland were playing Spain in the World Cup in 2002, around that time we were all glued to the tellies, Martin was going through this. Today he's 37 years of age. He's a qualified barrister with the garda with, with That's his day job. He's married with a kid. Where does he get that positivity from?
11: Well, Martin always was very positive. From the first day uh, we came back from London after he had lost his sight. Um, he said to his friend that night this is not going to beat me and when we came home the next day he said I'm going back to my own school and I want you to start organising it and from that day um, he pushed himself to, to achieve what he has achieved today and we were only there to help and support him but he was the main man. Okay. He was... He, he is fantastic.
5: We've seen him as a cyclist on the telly in Tokyo. I'd love to see him in action in a courtroom as a barrister. Have you seen him um, in action? No. N- no. Because... <laughs> well, he ha- never came to see us working, and we wouldn't go
12: to see him. OK. <laughs> so, so... But I think it would have been unfair, you know, sure, that he wouldn't be seeing us... And we could have gone in at any time, but that would be betrayal.
5: Well, look, we wish he was here with us tonight. I think he'd be proud of as punch of the two of you here tonight. Margaret and Ronnie Gordon, thank you very much. Thank you both. Okay, we're going to have to really spread now. Radio-wise, we're in a bit of uh, time trouble, so don't Donna, my apologies to you, but I, I don't want to break any promises here. Could I have a show of hands, please? And you've got to be honest about this, and don't ask your dad or your granddad or your grandmother. Hands up here in this room tonight in the Sligo Park Hotel. How many people have heard of the MacArthur Cup? That's about... 35 40 percent of the room not bad more than I thought we're going to tell you very quickly about the MacArthur Cup because it features in local heroes a celebration of Sligo sport and it was a mega Sligo sporting competition back in the day and joining the person who's going to tell us about that is a man who has returned home a few weeks ago from Italy where he finished in the top 15 in the world. Your most recent world-class athlete, ladies and gentlemen, is in the sport of rowing. He's a 20-year-old Ballymote man, and he is going from strength to strength. Would you please welcome on stage Brian Colchin rowing and Mary Forte to tell you about the MacArthur Cup. I think she's bringing the cup on stage as well. The original MacArthur Cup or one of them. Folks, welcome on stage. Mary, your maiden name is MacArthur, which is why we have invited you on here this evening because the MacArthur Cup was a soccer competition way back in the 30s and 40s. You can give me a quick beginner's guide to it. Okay,
13: well, um... You can see the base of the the trophy there and uh, I'm just going to give you an idea and for the people of the vintage, or you might have heard your parents talking about it, 1926 is the first year that the cup, uh, uh, what we can see engraved on it, was played for and the winning team that year was Sligo Railway Traffic Football Club. And then in 27 we had Sligo Loco, so I presume that was something to do with the railways. Then in 29, 30, 35, Sligo Western Wholesale won it. So they obviously had a good team that they held on to and kept going. 1945, Sligo Western Iron Company. 46, 47, Sligo CIE Omnibus Football Club. 48, Fowley's Brewery. 51, Handley's. 43, 49, 52, Denny's. All these names, anybody from Sligo with any family history would remember them. 67, Hanson's. 70, Grocers Football Club, 71, Brooks Handley, and 65 and 72, Sligo Post Office.
5: Okay, and the last final was 1975, and there was a bit of a kerfuffle around that final. Only one team showed up, so one team claimed the prize. And in the hoo-ha, to cut a long story short, it's in the book, the trophy went missing. And then some years later, at the MacArthur door in Ross's Point, there's a knock at the door. Can you take up the story?
13: Yes, so there's nine of us, but the, the middle brother is Johnny. Uh, Johnny MacArthur, and hi Johnny, because I know he's at home tonight listen. Um And he got a knock on the door one day, and this guy knocked at the door, he said, Hi, are you John MacArthur? He said, I am. And he just thrust the cup at him and he said, That's the MacArthur cup, I think that belongs to you, and turned on his heel and went. <laughs> now, I never found out who it was, and maybe the boys did when they were doing their bit of research. So as they say, you've got to get the book to find out the rest of the story. <laughs> but but it, um, it stayed, and it has now got a second base. And the second base is the MacArthur Cup for the Lock it's been sailed For the last 24 years, for it. it's been sailed for. So it's
5: still contested for in Sligo Sport, but not in soccer anymore, in sailing. In sailing, on right. Loch Which brings us on to the man sitting to your right. Slightly different water sport, but you know Lockgill pretty well, because that's where you harnessed your skills with Sligo Rowing Club, Brian Colch. When did rowing become the be-all and end-all for Brian Colch in Ballymote? I, don't, I can't think of too much water around Ballymote.
14: Um, not much. River going through Ballymote now, which a small stream, but you won't get much out of that. Uh, so headed out to Sligo. Like, I've always been part of the club. Always. Like, Dad was obviously the coach up there. So since Ever since I was about five, six years of, years of age, I've been around the club, kind of watching everyone see how they're getting on. Um, then I started like, coxswain when you're uh, steering the boat uh, since I was nine. And then actually uh, rowing uh, when I was 13. I um, did my few competitions uh, around Ireland from 13 uh, well, to present day. And then when I was 18, had my first international debut in, in Serbia and in the Junior European Championships.
5: And how did you do?
14: <laughs> uh, got a, a silver medal in the men's quadruple skulls.
5: <laughs> and then this year, yeah, it, that deserves an applause. And then earlier this year, you won world bronze in the World Under-23 Championships. And then you were selected for the senior Ireland rowing team. And this is the same team as Fintan McCarthy, Paul Donovan, Sinita Paspure and now Brian Colch.
14: Uh, yeah, it was, it was a big jump from the under twenty threes in, in July. Like getting the bronze medal, I was, I was happy out. I thought that was my season finished there. Get get to relax, get to chill in Sligo for a bit. And um, then got got the calls like you're not finished just yet. We have another month or two in you, and they kept me going from till the end of September to to compete at the senior world championships. Like I d- didn't really know what to expect going into it. Um, kind of there for the experience, and uh, sure enough, in the, the first race, I was against the Greek scholar, who's an Olympic gold medalist from last year, which was a fun surprise to say the least. Uh, but I, I didn't beat him, obviously. But like, I gave it a good good go anyway. But I came fifteenth in the world, and I think it was a good good result. That's not bad going. Not bad going.
5: Well, here's your new Local Heroes Sporting Challenge now, Brian Colch. I want you to get your dad, Tommy, your mum, Rosie, get a sailboat, and I want you to go and win the MacArthur Cup for Mary Forte, okay? That's your next thing you can try and do. Ladies and gentlemen, Brian Colch and Mary Forte. Thank you. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Mary. Okay, at the risk of getting fired by my employers at Ocean FM, we are miles over time, but I am going to finish tonight. Our last two guests are... The youngest athlete in the book and one of the eldest. We're going to invite them both on stage to finish our launch here at the Sligo Park tonight. One of them is a multiple national handball champion and he's revered in handball circles. He's a very modest man but what he has done in the sport of handball is exceptional by any standards and he's going to be joined on stage by a nine-year-old athlete from Sligo Athletic Club, who's a pupil in Skalursla. And back in January of this year, she ran in the world-famous Milrose Games in the United States in the fastest kid in the world race, which takes a bit of getting into number one, and she finished third in that race. We're not gonna ask them to sprint tonight, but we're gonna invite them on stage for a very short chat to finish. Please welcome Handballs, Paddy Walsh, and from Athletics, Grace Foley. Hiya, Grace. Here's a microphone for you. Welcome, Grace. You just hold that microphone nice and close to your mouth like it's the the ice cream that Dad's going to buy for you at the end of this program, okay? And Paddy's going to join us as well. Paddy, welcome. You can grab that microphone. Shake hands there with Grace. Two star athletes of Sligo. Well, Grace, you are very fast, aren't you?
0: Yeah.
5: Were you... (laughs) When did you start becoming fast? Can you remember the first time you got really fast? Three. Three. And can you remember the day? Was there a race where you're running up the sta- stairs? Uh,
8: on the grass.
5: On the grass, right? And how fast can you go?
8: Very fast.
5: Very fast. Okay. So if you ran from here to the end of the wall and back, how long would it take? Would you say?
8: Four seconds.
5: Four seconds. That's pretty good. I saw a picture of you when you were in America with a very famous Irish athlete who used to run in the Olympics and who won a world championship. Do you remember his name? No. Do you remember? Do you remember Eamon Coughlin? Oh yeah. Yeah. He went to meet you and get a photograph with you, didn't he? Yeah. That was pretty cool. Yeah. What's the best thing about running? What's your favorite thing about running?
1: my friends and
5: running being with your friends yeah it's pretty cool and you have your milrose games top on Yep. very few people in ireland have one of those will you try and run in the race again in america do you think yes yeah well look we are delighted that you are here tonight and that you're in the book which is about the next generation that's where you'll find that in the chapter in the book and there are lots of other young stars like lauren Cadna ligo ac and others who are here as well Paddy, I don't know if there was a, fa- a best handball kid in, 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 in the world competition when you were a young fella, was there? <laughs>
2: <laughs> Must be joking.
5: <laughs> can I, I get you to hold the mic up? When did you start playing handball? Um, the line came from
2: Calooney and we are uh, doing just a ball alley, so there was nothing else to do with handball and football.
5: You know? Handball, okay, just hold the mic good and close so that we can hear you. Yeah. You're doing great. Yeah. So you, there was no real place to play, so handball was... was, no, we, was we had a ball alley in Calooney,
2: yeah. Right. And, uh, well, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't, like, some college ball, at least. Like, it was uh, just front wall and two side walls Like, in uh, have have now, you know. So, in um, Ballymore had the box alley. Like, and we'd have to, when we up to minor grade, we used to go up to Ballymore We'd have to cycle. If we could get a barrier bike or steal it.
5: OK, I get you to hold that mic good and close. I just want to make sure that we can hear you. It's very interesting. How many national handball titles did you win, Paddy? I mean, roughly, I mean... No, don't ask me that. A few. <laughs> A few, a few. That, that's your, that's your polite, modest way of saying a lot.
2: Yeah, it was a good few. Yeah.
5: And did what? What did you enjoy about handball? What was first, the attraction? The first I will be back in uh,
2: 1974. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, in Crowe Park, like you, you went to Connacht. Okay. Then you went to All Ireland semi-final, played Kilkenny and then uh, Kerry in the final up in Crowe Park. That was 1974. But. Uh, but the bad thing about it was two months after my partner died at 37 years of age of a brain image. You know? sure. okay. But after that I played down the end, yeah. it wasn't just handball, I played football as well, Gaelic football. Football as well. Okay, so you were handy at a couple of sports. Oh yeah, we have six senior champions. We had great team in Kaluni in the right. in the 60s, you know.
5: Okay, okay, Paddy. It's lovely to have you here tonight. I think that microphone has malfunctioned a little bit. Not your fault. Uh, at the very, very end, yeah. but it's great that you are in this book and that Jim and Leo have featured you and your handball exploits. Well, well only for the grey I wouldn't. I wouldn't be here tonight. I wouldn't. For ham, only for handball. Well, only for the boy, they have greater regard for them, you know. Okay, you knew them to read, obviously. Ah, yeah,
2: and um, I meet on the mountain, the Holywell regularly. Okay. Very good.
5: Yes, you are the man, of course, in the 6 o'clock Angelus along the Holy Well. The person we see is Paddy Walsh, the handballer. <laughs> Folks, it's great to have you here tonight. Two very special sporting ad- athletes, different generations, but their love of Sligo is intense Grace Foley And Paddy Walsh, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, Grace. Thank you very much. Thank you, Paddy. Thank you, Paddy. Continue good health to you. Ladies and gentlemen, that brings our on-air launch to an end here at the Sligo Park Hotel. I want to thank all our sporting athletes. There are so many more people we could have spoken to, but we hope that's given you a flavour of what local heroes, a celebration of Sligo sport, has to offer. And it's been written and compiled and lovingly edited by Jim and Leo Gray. A reminder that this program is available as a podcast on oceanfm.ie, and wherever you get your podcast, simply search for Ocean FM Ireland to find it. We're back next week, same time, different place. Ocean FM Ocean FM's
4: final whistle Thanks to Donegal Plumbing and Heating Old Loughy Road, Donegal Town Suppliers of underfloor heating packages Aluminium radiators Samsung and Daikin air-to-water heat pumps And all your renewable needs